Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You've let me down. You've let Rue down. You've let yourselves down. <laughs> it was it was such a it was such a nice moment. Yeah. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Bake Down Podcast. My name is Sarah. I will be hosting today, and with us, as always, we have the lovely Dan, Jane, and Howard. So how are you today, guys? We are uh, talking about dessert week, uh, quite a quite a staple in uh, Bake Off history. We've had quite a few dessert weeks before. Um, Howard, what did you think of dessert week? I thought, well, I, I liked part of it, wasn't keen on, on another part of it. It's a oh. little bit like desserts generally, isn't it? You want a bit of a selection. You want a kind of dessert trolley and choose the bits that you like and avoid the ones you don't. And I thought that was the kind of theme of this week for me. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, it, in fact, it did look like an old-fashioned dessert trolley, didn't it? The whole thing, really. <laughs> I used to like it in the Italian restaurant when they'd come out with, with the desserts. I used to save myself for the dessert trolley. So it's got one of my favourites in it, I have to say. Oh, I'm looking forward to hearing what we've all got to say when we get to the individual challenges. So, Dad, what did you think of Dessert Week? Um, yes, Dessert Week is always a good week, one that uh, sort of sifts the wheat from the chaff. I forget who won Star Baking Dessert Week on my season. I think it might have been me. I think it might have been me. Um, so, yeah, uh, I, I, I'm a big fan of desserts. That's sort of where my heart <laughs> is. Um, <laughs> for some reason, such good feelings, Howard. I'm, I'm not, I can't quite put my finger on it. Um, but, yeah, this was... Um, <laughs> God, it was a really, was that potentially one of the worst technicals we have ever seen? I think it was I quite so. a week yeah. of ups and downs. Um, we'll <laughs> obviously get onto the, the technical in due course. But yeah, there were some real highlights and some real lowlights. But I think it was it was an f- entertaining one overall, certainly. And um, uh, another interesting result to talk about at the end. Absolutely. It's a car crash, I believe, was the word used a few <laughs> times to describe the technical. But as you rightly say, we shall get onto that. 
But before we start discussing uh, what happened in Desserts Week, we have another bake-along class to talk about. So we will be doing Dessert Week with the lovely Howard. It's uh, it's your turn this week, Howard. Um, so can you tell us what you're going to be doing for our Dessert Week bake-along challenge? Yeah, I promise, I promise I'm not copying down. Oh, damn. <laughs> but I'm doing a bit I'm <laughs> I'm doing a bit of a mashup. So I am doing creme caramel, but I'm doing orange and ginger flavours. So Ooh, what I'm doing yeah. is a ginger custard as the basis for the creme caramel. And we're gonna make some little orange uh longushat biscuits as well to go with them. Ooh, Sounds delicious. Well, that sounds fantastic, Howard. A nice merging of the signature and technical challenges there. Very nice. So if anybody wants to join Howard for his Dessert Week Creme Caramel class, you can join Howard on Sunday, the 12th of November. And uh, you can join me as well. I shall be there. And that sounds like it's going to be a fantastic class. You can sign up from the Bake With A Legend website. And if you are signing up for any more of our fantastic classes that we have on in the next few months, Christmas is definitely on its way. We have some Christmas classes signed up for you with Jane, Dan and Howard, all our, all my lovely co-hosts here. Then don't forget you can use the code podcast to get 10% off your next booking. So hopefully we'll see you at a class very soon. Well, let's start on dessert week. And the signature, as we've heard, was eight creme caramels, uh, which for those of you who don't know, is a set custard with a sort of a caramel sauce on top. It was two hours and 45 minutes for this challenge. Everybody made eight uh, caramels, apart from Matty, who decided to make 12. Interesting choice. (laughs) Did he just misunderstand the brief? Or what, what happened there, do we think? I think... If it if it were me, I might have made uh, a couple of extras just to be sure, because you never quite know how they're going to turn out. You know, as as Bruce said, you've got to you've got to have them set enough, but soft enough that they're still palatable. So I don't know. I think that was a good strategy. I think I might have done that as well. Yeah, and it wasn't a bad. We often say you ought to have some spares, and as we've seen already, that you know. Was it Tasha last week who had a spare wraparound thing for her cake? Ah, yes. And the thing is with creme caramels in your oven, if you're putting it all in the water bath, which you do, the ones in the middle tend not to cook as quickly as the ones on the outside. So then you could move them around and, and have some setting slightly differently. Or so. I don't know. Anyway, I don't think it was a bad idea. Why not? And then you could always eat one, which Ooh. frankly, creme caramel is now and always has been my absolute favourite dessert. Yay! Forever. <laughs> I love them. So, I, you know, have 12. You can eat four and give the others to the judges, as far as I'm concerned. More the merrier. Now, I'm quite intrigued, Jane, about how you eat yours. And maybe we should ask Howard as well, as he's been rustling up a couple lately. Um, did you used to do that thing when you were a kid? You'd get them, you know, ready-made, wouldn't you, from the shop? I don't know if you ever bought no, them. but you never. would in the, it, Inhale them in one bite. Did you did you never do that as a party trick where you would lean down and inhale the whole uh, creme caramel? No? No. No, well, no, up, no. Up no. your nose. Not up your no, nose. No, not literally. No. Oh. It's a metaphor, Howard. Like, oh, right. No, what, shove a whole lot. In my, my mouth isn't that big. Yeah. Dan, it might well, work I could, for you, but not for me. No, 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 no. 
I couldn't do it actually, but my brother could. My brother and my father used to do it quite, quite frequently. They used to find it hilarious and make my mother absolutely furious. But they just bend down and suck up the entire thing in one mouthful. Um, so no, 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 no. Everyone's looking horrified. Did you people not have a childhood? <laughs> we did, but we had manners, I think, as well. Which... Uh, we didn't have those. We didn't have those. <laughs> uh, right. I have no idea what just happened there. That was that was an interesting <laughs> couple of minutes. Um, <laughs> but yes, this was very um, nostalgic, apparently, uh, for a couple of people. I think Paul um, said it reminded him of his childhood, um, and clearly it, it reminding you guys of your childhood as well. Uh, but Jane, I get the impression you would have made your own oh absolutely there used to be i think my mother occasionally she used to get a packet mix you can packet mix them which tasted disgusting but yeah i always make my own and we'll still make them when i've got friends that don't mind eating cold custard coming along for for supper um i tend not to make them just when it's ray and i because i would eat the whole lot I absolutely would eat the whole lot. And the one thing that I found distressed me on this challenge, one where they were messing about with flavours. I like the good old standard mm. Italian, uh, uh, sorry, French, with lots of lovely vanilla. Um, but they're, all their caramel is so pale. And the beauty of a creme caramel is that the caramel is just on the edge of being overcooked mm. to give that slight um bit slight bitterness to the creamy as a foil for the creamy custard underneath you can't have it as sort of this just very pale amber caramel because it's just too sweet so it was all a little bit pale for me this week but I, oh goodness me i love them in fact i might make some this weekend just to eat I, I need to. I need to send you my my picture of of my creme caramel now to get your judgment. Oh yes, you do. <laughs> Judge Jane. Judge <laughs> Jane. I'll send it. For her. Jane, you you've been threatening to join Howard and Dan's classes all through when we've been doing this bake along series, I and have, uh, and you've yet to appear. So I'm I know, wondering if, I if know, this I might really be the class. I wanted to appear in uh, Dan's class, and um, I think somebody said, "Oh, Jane was going to come to this, wasn't she?" Yeah, I don't. <laughs> I mean, as much as I love you guys, absolutely. Um, five o'clock on a Sunday evening for me is collapse day. Uh, you know, it's put yeah, for me curtains, too. But we're on the sofa anyway. Sit on the sofa. Yeah, but we 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 rise to the occasion when it's our class. Um, yes, of course we do. Yeah, we do. Oh, Jane, have you have you seen that Howard's just sent through a beautiful picture of his? Uh, oh no, of his caramels. Oh no, hang on. I appreciate that this would be able Howard, to see this. Howard, perfect colour. Oh, good. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely Phew. perfect. They look lovely. Those long shat look gorgeous as well. Oh, and no bubbles in your caramel. That is fabulous, Howard. <laughs> fabulous. Ten hours well done, Howard. You, you get a handshake from Jay. Hey. A silly little story. Many, many, many years ago, um, I was going on holiday with my parents. I obviously old enough to drive because I was we were sharing the driving anyway we were going down to the south of France and we hadn't booked anywhere to stay overnight and we pulled into this dusty little hamlet honestly with all the shutters shut everywhere and and, and there's a sign on a wall saying rooms and we thought well, we can't drive any further and there was these huge wooden double doors and in we went into this oh it was like this 
oasis of geraniums and rooms around this courtyard. It was absolutely beautiful. It was like, phew, we'd be driving for hours. But um, the supper we had, I can't remember what the main course was, but the supper that we had was this beautiful creme caramel. And, and I remember it to this day, it must have been 40 odd years ago or more. And it was the most delicious thing I've ever eaten. So creme caramels have a huge, huge place in my heart. It was, I'm delighted to see this challenge, I have to say. But Howard's, yours looks ace. Thank you. Absolutely. It does. There's longer shot in the picture. If anybody's interested in this class, have a look. Oh, it's just super photo. Very nice styling. Yes. Because you do need that little (laughs) bit of crunch. I don't need to push this class at all. Jane's doing it for me. (laughs) I expect a sold out class with Howard here. Well, let's hope so. Well, let's. Let's get back onto the signature challenge. We had some very interesting flavors here. Um, straight away, I'm drawn to Dan's because it was most most unusual. But what what did we think of Dan's? Dan, what did you think of Dan's? Uh, I uh, on the size of it wasn't that into it. To be completely honest, it, I dare say it was probably one of those things that you know, if you tasted it, it was lovely. But it didn't it didn't inspire me. The Thai green curry was. Uh, yeah, I mean, I love Thai green curry, but I haven't thought about having it as a as a creme caramel. Um, but it, yeah, it looks very impressive. Um, I like the little was it the sort of sesame work he had. Um, twill. Yeah, they a lot of them had a twill. I was starting to wonder if a twill was a compulsory element at that point. Um, but no, some other people had some other other decoration. Um, but yeah, I thought dance was interesting. Um, but the the person who just brought me most anxiety in this one was uh, dear old Matty. Um, and I'll ask you about this, uh, uh, Jane, because so obviously you talk about when you cook a caramel, the darker it has, it is the more complex of a flavor it has. So it's sort of more desirable as, as a contrast. I'm wondering, um, he had such problems with his caramel. What on earth happened there? Now, if I crystallize my syrup, I would just keep going because it will melt again and become a caramel, won't it? So I don't know why he kept throwing it away. I was a bit confused about that one. You're asking the person who did that so many times in the tent. I I, I could not make a caramel in the tent to save my life, except for maybe in dessert week. Actually, when I well, I did manage to make some caramel at some point. I don't know. I really don't know. Nobody else seemed to have a, have a problem. Poor old Matty. And when mine crystallizes, I do tend to chuck it away. Oh, really? Uh, which I it never never crystallizes at home. I don't know what it is, but poor old Matty. And then he made it clearly in a frying pan. Dry caramel, dry one. A dry caramel. I love a dry caramel. I find, I know you don't. I know you like a, whenever I make a wet caramel, I always think of you. I don't know. We have discussed caramel a lot of times, haven't we? Do you put in some citrus? Do you put in a bit of glucose or honey or, or golden syrup, which all helps? With the not crystallizing problem, or helps to yeah to get get you through. Um, but I like a dry caramel because you can stir it, and you can just stand over it and stir it, and it happens so much faster. But yeah, there we go. Poor old Matty, my heart went out to him and to the lady who washes up. Because <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Jane, I think that belongs on a card. Uh, roses are red, violets are blue. Whenever I make a wet caramel, I think of you. Yeah. <laughs> sweet. Sweet. I'm touched. <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't sound awfully, um, awfully lovely, really. Does it? <laughs> well, 
we're talking about Matty, so let's go on to his flavours. Um, he had a chai, coconut and vanilla custard uh, with some little sugar decorations. And uh, I think he had... Uh, he had a pretty good uh, he had a pretty good time he they looked very nice apparently the flavors were nice um a tad overbaked apparently which i'm a little surprised at given that he didn't have that much time you know he spent a lot of time on his caramel but he, he came out rather well from that challenge what how what did you think of matty's uh yeah no i i, I did think he he uh, managed to retrieve it quite well um i think the judges said it tasted delicious so yeah well done i, I have to say though the one that really drew me was was sacos i would dan dan and i have spoken in previous weeks about words that we like what was this one what what a lapen what a lapen creme karma yeah lovely word <laughs> not such a nice not yeah. such a nice creme caramel no. certainly, but a lovely <laughs> word um, i've never used jaggery have you guys used jaggery no. yeah mm. it's just sugar basically it's just, it just, I mean, to me, it just tastes like brown sugar. I mean, it's slightly different, but basically it's brown sugar, I think. Well, it obviously sets slightly differently. Uh, well, Bob McGee complains she... about me saying that. <laughs> 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 um, but she did the classic, didn't she? She said she used whole eggs as well. Mm. I, I don't, I'm not aware that she used a mix of eggs and egg yolks. So for anybody who doesn't do custards like this. The, the whites help it set and the yolks make it richer and more delicious. So you do need a mixture of both, otherwise you end up like a sort of an omelette with caramel on top, which I think she... <laughs> well, I know that's a bit cruel, isn't it? But hers was too set. Um, it's got to be that lovely, lovely wobble, a bit like a panna cotta. It has to be exactly the right texture, otherwise um, it's a bit tough. Hers, I think, was a bit tough. It was a little bit, wasn't it? Um, but Tasha's sounded really nice. Uh, she had a rosemary custard, a fig compote and a honey caramel. I've never heard of a, a honey being made into a caramel. She's, she described it as a cheats caramel. What did we think about that one? Is, is that a proper caramel or? I don't know where the cheats part of it comes in. Like uh, it's, it's just cooking sugar more, isn't it? I mean, there's no reason it can't work, wouldn't you say? Um, yeah, I, I, I agree. I don't... <laughs> just gives you a slightly different flavour, doesn't it? There's a recipe of Jamie Oliver's in his 30-minute cookbook, which is completely misnamed because it takes you a lot longer than 30 minutes. Mm. However, the recipes are pretty good. Um, And it's one that he does, it's his satay one, and and he makes caramelised cashews. And basically you put cashews in a pan with honey and cook it down so the the cashews get caramelised and they're absolutely delicious quite how it would work as on the top of this custard because by the time you baked it it does go a little bit runny the um the caramel very often you'll leave some caramel in the base of your ramekin or whatever it is you're using so the honey just didn't seem to set quite as well as some of the other caramels but i was you know tasha as always i've always thought she was great until she said creme caramel basically it's cold gelatinous gross i thought tasha you've just fallen off my favorite list <laughs> you cannot describe it as cold gelatinous and gross not my favorite dessert in the whole wide world oh. <laughs> but i love the idea of fig honey and rosemary i thought it sounded mm. i thought it sounded delicious i have a question about names quickly so oh. in in america 
they call this flan, apparently. That's a thing. But when oh, we okay. say flan, we mean quiche, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, I mean, you can have a sweet, you can have a sweet flan, as well as a kind of savoury quiche. You can have a sweet flan, can't you? But it's not. What's the difference? I think it's the difference is. I mean, I think when you think of a flan, it's it's a shallow, open tart, really. Whether that be is that all it means? Savoury tart. I think so. In the UK, I think so. I could be wrong. Never, never. Yeah, I mean, years ago, we. this is going back at, <laughs> I don't know if they even still do them, you used to get these dreadful kind of sponge tart cases that you yeah. could then put. Yeah, yes. Yeah. And, and they were sometimes called cream flan. And yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so yeah, it's just, I just, I thought it was curious because Americans call it flan, we call it creme caramel. And uh, yeah, this another word puzzly for us to be doing with the Americans. Um, but yeah, I love I love a flan, but I never think of it as as a creme caramel. No, but they do in Spain as well. A Spanish flan is oh, yeah. is a bit is the same. Is so maybe it's just us. So I've just googled flan, and all that I've got a picture of creme caramels here. So um, yeah, I think I think we're wrong. No, never. It's never possible, is it? No, that couldn't be right. No, the rest of the world's wrong. Absolutely, we're British, darling. <laughs> well, whose flavours haven't we discussed? Can I just ask something about this dance? What is coriander root? I don't know. Coriander the root, root of the coriander plant. Yes, thank you, Sarah. Very yeah, cool. good, good call. <laughs> I think I'm really knowledgeable about baking, guys. I think. Well, of course, in America, the leaf is cilantro, isn't it? But the root is yeah. coriander. So maybe that's why. I think. I think that's the case. Whereas we call the whole thing coriander, they call the leaves cilantro, which I think is Spanish. I guess I don't know. Oh, I don't know, but I've never seen coriander root. I've never used coriander root, and I don't know how that flavour differs because we went to supper with a Vietnamese friends last weekend and everything had coriander in it, absolutely everything, or cilantro. Um, And I'm sure we've discussed this before. Some people genetically taste it very differently to the way others taste and cannot eat it. Um, My poor husband bit into the first thing and uh, couldn't eat any of it and and pushed it around his plate and got him home and he was going, I'm so hungry. I'm so hungry. (laughs) Uh, So I just wondered how the coriander root tasted compared to coriander seeds, which are very different and a yummy... um, I just wondered. Anyway, so do, if anybody knows, just write in and let us know because... Do you, Please re- do. do you reckon he foraged it? Is that would he have dug that up somewhere? <laughs> I don't think Dan's a forager. Is Dan a forager? I can't remember now. He's a little bit He's, of a forager, I think. Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. But let's talk about the other bakers that we haven't touched on for this uh, challenge. There was Christie's, which was an orange and nutmeg custard, uh, very orange flavoured, which sounded really nice, with the orange yes. liqueur segments on top and candied orange peel. Mm. So very, very orangey. Um, the judges described it as a rough texture around the edges. Um, I think as as the challenge came to a close, she was like, oh, those damn bubbles. Um, so that mean, meant it was slightly overbaked. Um, and the orange flavour came through, but Paul said, but not, or was it Prue? He said, and not caramel. 
So mm. did that yeah. mean maybe that the caramel wasn't strong enough, wasn't dark enough, mm, maybe? I think so. I, just go back. I think it was also a polite way of saying there was maybe a bit too much orange in it. Every element was orange. Yeah. Um, I think it could have used a little bit little bit more variety. But generally, I like Christy. I don't think she tries to go too crazy with the flavours. And generally, I think she succeeds. Uh, obviously, she just slightly overpowered it today. Mm, you do have to be careful. You can't have the oven up too high on these things. Because otherwise, I think one of the comments was, from Prue, maybe it was boiled inside. So you end up sort of scrambled egg if you're not careful. Mm. Um, and the bubbles on the outside. So you do have to be really careful and, and just be patient and go sort of low and slow in the water bath, I always find. I, I'm always like, come on, hurry up and cook. And then you, <laughs> you know, they always take longer than I think. But um, they're worth they're worth the wait. Josh's were also overbaked, weren't they? Um, mm. So he he did the the plum and custard cinnamon orange uh, with the chocolate butterfly on. And I thought that was um, quite an improvement, actually. He tempered his chocolate, I think I assume it was chocolate week from memory, um, and he sort of had not done a successful job of tempering it at all. Um, so I'm really proud of him for coming back and uh, having a good go with the butterflies. And I thought they looked yeah. quite nice. I did too. He piped leaves that week that Christy tried to get chocolate leaves out of a mould and couldn't. Mm. He piped leaves that week in the same way Pipe butterflies. Um, and it oh, did he? Very impressive. He did, yes. And um, I don't think we discussed it, but I thought it was much better that you pipe pipe them rather than struggle with the mould. Mm. Um, mm. We piped we piped spider legs in our webinar the other week. So you know, oh, for Halloween, yeah, for Halloween we did. Um, I thought they looked pretty. They obviously had a brief that they couldn't just do a creme caramel later. <laughs> add some sort of decoration to it um but yeah i thought i thought his flavors sounded nice as well i mean i thought all their flavors sounded quite nice except for dan's which didn't set me a light at all also being something that you just had to you had to taste in the moment mm. which yeah. obviously we yeah. can't do but yes josh has got nice praise uh from the judges a cinnamon orange custard cinnamon spiced plums um which sounded really nice uh, slightly overbaked, yes, they were slightly, uh, but the plum and orange apparently really delicious, came through perfect sweetness, and some people didn't manage to get the sweetness in a good balance with the other flavours, but I think Josh did there, and uh, the plums were nice and sort of fresh fruit taste. So I think overall a pretty good challenge um, so far for the signature. Um, now, I must just admit, I was looking back over previous dessert weeks to see how much dessert week was a, a staple in Bake Off. And um, for series three, it seems a little familiar. The signature was a tort cake, which we've done. The technical was a creme caramel and the showstopper was a meringue dessert. Wow. Ooh, okay. so this is a little similar uh, to what we've done in the past. But that's nice. You know, well, that was that's not a bad over thing. 10 years ago. No, not at all. Do you remember, like, last year when we were moaning about the challenges being too complicated and that we thought that maybe the producers were just stretching for anything they hadn't done before? Um, and I think the quality of the challenges has been a lot better this year. I think they've been more interesting. They felt more approachable. They felt more classic. Um, so I, I'm not complaining. I don't, And I don't hear anyone complaining that they've done these challenges before. I think enough time has passed. I think it's, I think it's a good thing. What do you reckon, Howard? Yeah, because I think half of the bakers didn't watch the earlier series in any case. Well, they they were too young, so... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, goodness me. Yes, I completely agree. That's uh, 
Well, Jane, what do you think? Oh, I'm I'm loving it, and I, it's mm, there's some very basic cooking and baking skills that are required to have done a lot of the challenges, and I think. Gosh, I'm sorry, bakers. I, I, I think it's showing some holes in their experience, maybe, uh, which is a, mm. a good thing because I think the bakers on Bake Off should be basically very good basic bakers. I mean, none of us are allowed to go on the show if we've done classes or done this or done whatever. And we can't be professionals. We can't have done a Cordon Bleu course. We can't do any of those things. So the only thing that we can be good at is our basic skills that we taught ourselves at home or we've learnt on YouTube, which didn't happen in my day. Because, uh, yes, there was no such thing as an internet or even a computer. In. And, and I think it is showing some basic holes. So, who's you sniggering? Somebody in the background is such. Um, I, I think it is really showing some holes in their, their experience and ability. Now, I know we all get better after the show. I think we've all somehow improved and learnt a lot and had the confidence to try to take on new challenges. But, but you know, well, when we get to the technical, gosh, it really was a disaster. And we have had one or two disasters on skills that I would have expected them to be good at. Thank goodness we haven't done much shoe pastry yet because I would probably be throwing things at the television. Um, but I love all the bakers. But I really do think it is back to basics this year and all the better for it. That was a very long way of going around it. (laughs) Never use one word when 50 will do. Uh, But, yeah, I I think it's been really interesting. And I think people at home might be going, but I can do that. Why are they having such Mm. problems? It's interesting. It's been interesting. I love it. I think it's it's, um, been a great series so far. But there's definitely no point in making a challenge uh, easy. You know, we need we need to test people. So it's in a way, it's it's nice that we're seeing these holes in their knowledge because it is testing them. You know, oh. it is a competition. We we don't want them to just come in and everybody be perfect. We want to see. I mean, yes, it is reality TV, so we do want to see the mistakes and the the drama, but we do want to see the challenge. You know, we are testing them, especially in the technical. It is a test, so mm. there's no point in making a test easy. Mm. And if if we were grading these on a bell curve, where would the C be? Like, where who would have done well in this? <laughs> like, what would average look like in this uh, in this exam? <laughs> um, <laughs> so yes, on that I note, think we let's should get into it, Sarah. Yeah, we <laughs> shall. Yes. So let's uh, let's start on our technical challenge, which um, if you've watched the episode uh, and if you've listened to the first few minutes of the podcast, uh, you'll know that it possibly wasn't the best. I I didn't have many notes um, for everybody's comments. Um, I think raw and awful came up a bit more than I'd have liked. Inedible, Um, yeah. Yeah. Car crash, car crash. If you if you haven't seen the episode, please don't think we're being incredibly harsh. This is straight from the horse's mouth. Uh, Paul and Prue were, were not particularly impressed. Or in Paul's words, that is disgusting. That was his first words <laughs> walking into the tent. So that's um, true. Yeah, there's a lot to look forward to in this segment. <laughs> so the technical was six uh, orange and ginger treacle steamed puddings. Uh, with a creme anglaise and a ginger and orange syrup. Uh, 
And they ha only had an hour and a half for this, uh, which Paul and Prue seem to think was plenty of time. So do we think an hour and a half is plenty of time for a steamed pudding? Can I preface this with a uh, maybe what is a more important question, which is, Jane and Howard, how long would you have baked these steamed puddings for? If you were just got into the tent with your mind... And they're like, right, you're going to make this into puddings. How much time are you allowing for cooking, honestly, without without knowing the answer? How long would have you have allowed? So when I make a steamed mini puddings, I actually steam them. Yeah, I do. So I mm. put them in a pan of water with a, either a trivet or an upturned saucer or something to raise them off the bottom and cover each one individually with... Um, Greaseproof paper and then foil, and I will steam them for 50 to 60 minutes. Howard's nodding, yeah? Well, I am, because I think if you're doing it that way, and that is definitely the way that I would do it, it's almost impossible to overcook them mm. because they That's literally true, are. Yeah. yeah, so I'd rather I'd rather make sure that, that I've given them an hour or whatever. I think we said possibly in the last series or maybe the series before – someone was doing a steam pudding in the way that this one was done, which was in a, a bain-marie in the oven. And I've mm. never done it like that. But I would assume that if it's using the steam to cook it, it's going to have to be similar to doing it on the hob. Yeah. So, um, yeah. See, I honestly don't know if I would have put them in for long enough. So I would very likely have been one of those um, bakers who was turning out some half-cooked little disc. Um, but I, I wouldn't have known how long to, to bake them for. I honestly wouldn't have known. And unfortunately, there's no way to know before turning them out, is there? You've got to just hope that you've got it right. And uh, obviously, I think it, this might have been a case of the bakers following each other off a cliff. You know, maybe one person thinks that half an hour is enough. And so the next person just goes for it. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, oh, such, it was unfortunate viewing, wasn't it? But I, I, th I think also... They were almost, in a way, set up to fail, weren't they? Because they, even in the introduction, Paul is saying to Prue, they need 40 minutes, 4-0, you know. Mm. And so he's making a point of the fact that it's a lot longer than you think it's going to be. And if you don't have that kind of basic knowledge, what what can you expect, really? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I couldn't work out did they have to make their caramel first and put some caramel in the sponge oh that i don't know why were they so long guessing oh it was in the oven? it was complicated wasn't it? yes it appeared they had to make a caramel and put water into it to make it some sort of treacle put that in the mold then put the batter in the mold and then bake it which yeah yeah. I don't quite understand odd. why they were adding the water to the caramel. What was that doing? Just thinning it down? But there, some of them were adding mm. loads of water. Mm. So I just, I didn't really get that. Did you get oh, that? I didn't. No, I wasn't quite sure what was going on. Because they then poured their caramel sauce over the puddings. Because the ones that they bring out, like, oh, Prue, these are lovely. Let's taste these. <laughs> Oh, they looked... They looked really bold. I mean, they looked dreadful. They, they had, did. They, they looked, looked cold and... They looked really <laughs> dreadful. And then they poured over this, what probably was uh, a cold custard. I was just having a look here. I'm looking at other people. So Angela Hartnett, who you may or may not know, guys, especially if you're listening in the US, wonderful chef over here. It, it, she's Italian, but she's very British. She cooks hers, as we would do, in a, in a, a steamer on the hob. 
Um, I'm just looking to see what other people say. And I'm, most people choose to cook them on the top. Oh, here we go. Who's this? Good housekeeping. Pour enough water up the sides and bake for 25 minutes. I suspect 25 minutes, I would not find that to be long enough. No. We, Howard, you and I, are old enough. Um, no, I'm a lot older than you, Howard. But no, you're not. Well, I am. We're old enough to, to actually know and love a steamed pudding. It used mm. to be a real favourite on a Sunday lunchtime. We used to have one, I'm sure I've talked about it, it's called Good Pud. Uh, which my brother used to call good pud and it was a steamed treacle pudding and all the gold syrup will then just melt all over it it was absolutely delicious and um, so i suppose we have a bit more experience in how to cook these steamed puddings I, it's obviously not something that's terribly popular these days sadly uh because it is a thing of absolute joy in the winter and especially if you have a little mini one that you can just sort of warm up you can cook them and then rewarm them in the microwave afterwards absolutely delicious and i just think it just showed a a lack of experience and maybe a, a, a change in fashion you know somebody said that the creme caramel was old school well maybe these little steamed puddings would be t- considered to be old school as well i think noel said like oh these are from the victorian age i know he was joking but everybody was saying how how old-fashioned they were and it's like i'm not even 30 and i grew up on these i yeah, love a sponge maybe. steamed yeah. sponge pudding it's made up my childhood it is a it's a shame yeah no time. we used to have steamed puddings all the time but the, i oh, in you? fairness i don't think i cook steamed puddings for the kids so i don't that's not something that i typically make um i don't know why maybe i should make one maybe i should make hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We used to have a similar one, which is full of golden we did, syrup. We did a big one a few years ago, didn't we? We, we did have a challenge, a big one, um, where... Um, was that a Sussex Pond pudding? Oh, no, 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 that's, never mind. Oh God, that's something completely different. Sussex Pond pudding, I think it had disasters with that as well. She put a lemon <laughs> in the middle of that. Yeah, not to be accepted. Yeah. But I think, <laughs> I think Ian, lovely Ian Cummings, is experienced with Sussex Pond pudding. Uh, no, um, they made full-size puddings and i think um oh what's his name is it ian carter uh, stephen carter bailey or bailey carter or never remember his surname um he he made a lemon and blackcurrant one which was absolutely delicious so they have made steamed puddings you mm. thought people would have watched it and learned from it or well i didn't know jane Maybe they put their water in cold instead of putting it in boiling from the kettle because they, they certainly oh, had experiences yeah, of that in Bamaries in the past. Yeah. Um, I don't know, but 
goodness me, it was a disaster, wasn't it? I think they followed each other off a cliff. I think that's what it is. I think someone took those out <laughs> early and everyone else just copied them. I think that's probably what happened. But it was good. Uh, I think Tasha's feedback was something like that at least one's half-baked or something. It was... Uh, God, it was, uh, yeah, it's actually got a bake on it. She only rescued hers by taking it out of the water bath, didn't she? I yes, think she, did she? Yeah, she baked it partly, so. Oh, maybe that would have helped. Yeah, she did. She, she took yeah. them out of the water bath, yes, a, a little bit. She baked them in the water bath, then took them out and just stuck them back in without the water. So, yes, maybe that helped. But, yes, there isn't much more to say about this challenge, really. Um... The comments from the judges were not particularly, I was going to say not particularly kind, but I, I think they were possibly quite apt compared to how not cooked they were. My favourite feedback was Matty's. He said, terrible burnt <laughs> nilpois. <laughs> Fair enough. Yes, his his syrup was rather solid, wasn't it? I think he'd, uh, he'd reduced that a little too far. Uh, but they, they were all in such good spirits about it. And I think that's what's so nice about this challenge. You know, everybody just realised that, okay, it's gone wrong. Obviously, Paul and Prue continued to rib them throughout the Showstopper Challenge. But, you know, <laughs> I love the bit like yeah. you've let me down, you've let Prue down, you've let yourselves down. <laughs> it yeah. was it was such a it was such a nice moment. You know, it was it was yeah. nobody was berating them or telling them off. It was just like it happened. OK, we nobody knew how long to cook it for. We move on. So that was sweet. Yeah. And uh, so, yes, I don't think the ranking is particularly helpful in this uh, um, instance, but I'll do it anyway. Uh, Matty was down at the bottom in sixth um, with his solid syrup. Um, Saku was fifth. Christy was fourth. Josh was third. Dan was second. And Tasha was first. And power to Tasha. She was like, yep, I'll take that. A win's a win. So fair play to her. (laughs) Yep. Yep. It does make me wonder as well whether we might see these resurfacing again in the final. Because quite often in previous years, when people have had an absolute disaster, they're made to deal with the demon again in the final, aren't they? Maybe. Oh, good Mm. point, Howard. Maybe we will see this again in a few weeks' time. (laughs) I I hope they've learned. So, as always, guys, we ask you to send in some questions and comments that you have about the show, about the podcast. We've got lots of questions and comments from you all, so thank you so much, and do please keep sending them in. Now, we have a comment here from Colleen in Massachusetts. Hello, Colleen. And uh, she says, Dan mentioned that he wondered if the Americans can understand Nikki's Scottish accent. As an American, I've been watching Bake Off with subtitles on since (laughs) Flo was on in Series 8. Her Liverpool accent and idioms made me rewind over and over until we put the show on subtitles. But she does love the show. Uh, That just makes me happy. (laughs) (laughs) So, Colleen, uh, obviously, hopefully you'll be getting every word there since you've got subtitles on. So thank you for writing in to tell us that. Um, We have a question here from Iris in Atlanta. And Iris says, I have always wondered if the order of the judging for the signature and the showstopper, as shown in the final cut, is the same order as the judging done in the tent. And how and when is that judging order determined? The answer is no, isn't it? Uh, okay, I don't know. I've never noticed. No, it. it I, I think. Oh, I have. Yeah, I think what you'll sometimes find if you if you watch carefully is that people who have had their bait judged 
so that they've been sampled and so on. In a, you know, a couple of judgments later, it's back on the bench whole. So it's it's not always shown in the order that it was judged in the tent. And I think that's partly because they'll either build up to someone who's done well or build up to someone who's done really badly in the edit, I think. Yeah, I think that's absolutely the way I understand it as well. Um, sometimes um, when they're judging, we were in the tent, when they were judging, they, they sort of tend to move in a circle. Uh, so they'll go, what you know, clockwise or anti-clockwise, I don't remember. So once you know who's first, you kind of know who's going to be last. And sometimes you wonder if they've done it to create a bit of suspense or something um, based on how the previous day went or whatever. But yeah, it, it just whatever suits the story best, I think, is what ends up on, on TV. As Howard said, you've got to know who's doing well and who's doing badly, haven't you? So we'll... Uh, mm. They, they they try and build up the, the drama a little bit. Oh, well, I've never really noticed. I never thought about it, but you're eagle-eyed if you see uneaten bakes or untouched bakes on somebody else's bench. Yeah, well done. I've never even thought about that. Did you never notice that, Jay? I'm just surprised no. you never noticed that. Did, oh, no, no? no, it wasn't never something that... No, I'm not very observant, clearly. <laughs> well, there we go. Uh, obviously, there's a slightly different order there. So thank you, Iris, for that question. Um, Iris also says, uh, thank you for the wonderful podcast. I really enjoy listening to your banter. So you're very welcome, Iris. We enjoy bringing it to you. Thank you, Iris. And we have a third question here from Melinda, who is from Washington, D.C. So hello, Melinda. Um, She says, uh, Dan Howard, Jane and Sarah, hello. I've been loving the podcast this season and loved attending Bake with a Legend online classes. Each time I've taken a class, I felt more confident in my baking skills. So thank you so much for that. Uh, Well, that's down to you guys. Well done for your fantastic teaching there. Um, So you're very welcome. I don't know. You give us tips as well sometimes, don't you, Sarah? Sometimes Sarah busts in with a tip in the middle of the class. And I'm like, who's teaching this class, Sarah? What's this about? (laughs) She's just such a prima donna. (laughs) She's like, you know, Jane does it this way. I'm like, all right, Sarah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, she would, Stan. Of course she would. Well, we also get some lovely tips from the bakers that join our classes. I think every day is a learning day. um, And that's a joy as well. I think our classes are brilliant. I learn stuff. And uh, hopefully you do too, Dan. Yes, I do. Dan, I only uh, give out uh, little hints and tips from Jane. It's because she pays me more than you do. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> do, I, do I pay you? <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about it later, Jane. We'll talk about it later. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so Melinda's question is, uh, my question is about freezable bakes. I love having treats stashed away in my freezer in case of a craving, which honestly is most days. I feel you. And I've managed to successfully freeze things like Texas sheet cake, blueberry muffins and garlic naan that I can later warm up again and enjoy. I'm wondering if you have any bakes that you found freeze and reheat very well after being cooked. Would love any recommendations that you all have. Okay, this is exactly not the question that she's asked. Um, but, um, <laughs> in, in my freezer, I have cookie dough that I love to bust out. A raw cookie dough that you can just put straight oh, in the oven too. to make fresh yeah. cookies. Right, so that's my actual freezer tip. But you're asking specifically about things that have been baked. In my opinion, any cake can be frozen and is perfectly lovely the other end. I can't think of things that don't freeze well. 
Um, maybe there's an exception. I feel like Jane's about to go off on me. <gasps> but generally, like sponge cakes and fruit cakes are, are absolutely fine in the freezer. And I will often, if I've got a big cake to make, I'll make it all a week in advance and stick it in the freezer so that that takes sort of the panic out of the situation. But I think any cake really goes in the freezer. Oh, uh, yeah, I agree, Dan. Uh, so I'm not going to go off on one at all. Um, oh, okay. Jolly good. I, I used to think that it didn't work terribly well and would always make it fresh. But having made a few big celebration cakes recently, they they do freeze very well. And de- as long as you defrost them and it's not too cold when people are eating them, the texture comes back, especially if you add a little bit of syrup on it as you're uh, sandwiching it together. They're absolutely delicious. Um, but if you want to reheat things, obviously you don't reheat cake. Bakewell tarts will reheat very well if you haven't iced them, actually, if you want them a little bit warm. Um, But we call them scones. Some people call them scones. But I think in the US you call them biscuits, I think. There are scones as well. It's very confusing. uh, Anyway, a really lovely scone. (laughs) Warm, just flashed in the... Flashed in the oven for five minutes to warm through with your clotted cream and delicious jam. They do reheat beautifully. There's no excuse not to have a lovely fresh scone ready to go um, within minutes. I think they're they're brilliant. Um, But just anything. I mean, I'll make lasagna and freeze it and reheat it. You know, there are lots of things that do. Things that don't freeze very well. Mince pies, fantastic, actually. They are brilliant coming up to Christmas um but things that are custody so if you made a bavoir if you made some you know I know we freeze them down to then get them out of molds and then put a mirror glaze over the top but long-term freezing of those they do break down so uh, a big bavoir type thing will not stay in the freezer for for more than a, a couple of hours really so um yeah custody things but then you don't have to reheat those anyway so how about you, Howard? What do you think? I'm just thinking, I think the other one, just thinking about custard, um, you can do kind of components as well. So things like if you're doing, uh, you can freeze cakes and then use that as the basis for a trifle or, yes. you know. So mm-hmm. um, if you are wanting to do something a bit a bit showy at Christmas or uh, over the festive period, um, think about the components of a dessert that you could actually freeze and then give that a, a new lease of life with perhaps some fresh custard and uh, and cream and so on. But I think she was saying, wasn't she, she, she wants something she can take out and, you know, pop in the oven and yeah. have a cravings. I mean, the cookie dough ones are a really good tip. But it, sort of little cakes or tarts or flans, mini quiches are always good that you could just warm through, especially now we've got, a lot of us have got air fryers as well, those sorts of things. And, you know, if you've got some nice pastries, I very often will make Danish pastries for Christmas. We try not to have them too often because they are very, very um, calorific, but Danish pastries for Christmas. And then you just take them out and thaw them overnight and then pop them in the oven for breakfast the next morning and they are they freeze really well. They'll only stay in the freezer for about a month, but um, they they pop up really nicely. Sausage rolls, love a sausage mm. roll, maybe you know, you can don't pre-cook them, I would say freeze them individually, then bring them out and whack them in the oven for a really delicious pastry sausage roll oh i could go on actually with christmas coming up see i think the reason i don't know much about this is because in my house not a lot of cooked food ends up 
going in the freezer. Leftovers just get no. eaten. They just sort of go in the fridge and get eaten straight from the fridge. I don't tend to freeze things once I've made them. There's always uh, an open mouth hole somewhere, someone begging for some food. So, um, yeah, I don't really freeze things, honestly. I've got a really nice recipe for rock cakes for another project I'm working on. I've never been a particular fan of rock cakes, but I freeze those and then they come out of the freezer and pop in the air fryer and my husband absolutely loves them. So there are, there are a number of number of things. Yeah, we're the same with leftovers. We have them for lunch the next day or dinner the next day and, and that that's great. But if you do a big batch, when there are only two of you living at home and you do a batch of six, eight muffins, put some in the freezer, mm. otherwise you're going to have to give them away or the end ones are going to be a bit stale or you have to just stuff your face with them over the course of 24 hours, which is possibly not to be advised. Quite fancy a rock cake now. Mm. I haven't had a rock cake for years. No, they're good. I'd actually, it was, a, again, one of those very traditional bakes. A good rock My cake. My mother made them all the time, yeah. Mm. Oh, well, I think you've stirred up a lot of memories there, um, Melinda. Thank you so much for for sending us that question. Uh, so hopefully you've got lots of different things there. We can uh, You can stash in the freezer and pull out whenever you feel the need. So thank you very much, everybody who has sent in a question. Please do keep sending in your comments and questions about the podcast, about the show, about uh, Jane, Dan and Howard here. You can email us at thebakedown at bakewithalegend.com or you can contact us on social media. We are at Baker the Legend on all platforms. And so we go into the Showstopper Challenge. Now, this challenge was, again, four hours, which seems to be the standard for a Showstopper Challenge this season, um, was a sharing size dessert encased in a meringue bomb. Now, Howard, uh, you've said that you liked some elements of Dessert Week and not others. Um, <laughs> so I'm assuming then that maybe this wasn't to your this taste? Wasn't, not really. I, don't, I didn't get it. I didn't get it at all. So I think we've had... What week was it when we had... You have to put a cake in a box, I think. We've had that. Chocolate week. Uh, chocolate chocolate, week. chocolate yeah. week, yeah. Chocolate yes. Yeah. And I'm thinking, okay, so maybe you break off a bit of the chocolate and have it with the cake and I can get that. And I think Pooh in, in, in this challenge said, oh, you need to break off some of the meringue and have it with whatever is inside. And it's like, oh, this doesn't sound very nice to me at all. I think of a, a bomb. I think when, when you're having a meringue bomb, it, it should, it's normally got ice cream or something in the centre of it. It's more like a kind of baked Alaska type thing. It, the, the meringue is on the outside and it's filled with delicious things. But this seemed to be like a cage for mm. holding something for no apparent reason. So I, I didn't get this at all. Sorry. I mean, <laughs> your fundamental criticism of the showstopper, this is something no one would make. Why would we make this? I think we can apply that to all showstoppers, uh, generally. No, but... no, no, no. I, I disagree. Go on, sorry, Dan. <laughs> but listen, I thought there were some beautiful exteriors. Um, yeah. But weirdly, the ones that were the most beautiful often didn't match up with maybe the good things inside. So I think it was kind of, it was a little bit of a, a challenge of just doing something difficult for the sake of it. I, I did kind of feel like that. And it's probably not not such a surprise that we had so many elements uh, going wrong. When you've got to bake a meringue, four hours isn't maybe that much time, is it? Because you you need that oven 
nice and hot for such a long period of time. I'm totally with Howard on this one. I mean, we had some pretty things and uh, some some were particularly ambitious, I thought. But I didn't see the point of this at all. I mean, everybody was worried, including Prue and Paul, whether the weight of the dessert inside was going to collapse the outer shell of the meringue. Um, I think the meringue would have needed to have been baked for quite a long time in order to give it the sturdiness that it needed. So I'm not sure I would have wanted to eat it particularly anyway. Um, yeah, they were always going on about style over substance and criticising the bakers. I thought this challenge was style over substance myself. I think the dessert and element in inside most of them, you could understand why they did a lot of shoe buns because they thought that perhaps that would be lighter and easier to stack inside their meringue bomb. Um, no, it was not a challenge for me at all, I'm afraid. I thought it was really disappointing and I thought having talked earlier about how the series has been so much better going back to uh, more accessible um, and traditional well not necessarily traditional but more accessible and simpler bakes this one went off the scale as far as I was concerned I thought it was I thought it was unnecessarily difficult and I disagree I think some of the with you Dan I think some of the showstoppers yeah, they're always over the top and we like to see a bit of over the topness, but we can see a point to them. I saw no point to this whatsoever. Yeah, I, I would kind of agree with that. What it The challenge it most reminded me of is in my season, in my dessert week, we had the giant melting chocolate ball thing that had to have a family dessert inside. So it was very similar in a way. It was sort of a family dessert caged in a sphere and but made out of meringue instead of instead of chocolate as it was on my season so i don't think there's a surprise there was a big disconnect between uh, the interior dessert and the outer decoration um the person who i think did the best on this was probably dan and dan had the same idea that i did in my chocolate ball challenge is i baked the whole put the whole dessert into the bottom half of the ball and i thought that was a, a smart idea because it just sort of makes the whole thing feel more cohesive but i'm yeah. surprised his meringue didn't just crumble to pieces because how did it not buckle under the weight of everything that was in it I, I actually don't know well Josh did the same didn't he he filled his I mean who, Josh frankly oh, hi, was Josh. the only dessert that I particularly wanted to eat mm. Um, mm. but he looked as though he had put some sort of platform in there that would have taken some of the weight um, I, I've only oh, watched really? it once oh yes yeah. he did that's he right did. he put something in the base that would have uh, spread the weight and the he was screwing something a in. Point. He was definitely screwing something in, um, which I thought was smart. I thought that was yeah. I thought that was clever. But I, I would disagree again about Dan's. Um, it was supposed to look like the world. It didn't look like right. the world it, at yeah. all. It just looked like a bit of blue and green meringue. <laughs> Sorry, Dan, if you're listening. But it didn't do it for me. But Paul said, oh, look, this is lovely. And it's uh, just... In his defence, <laughs> he called it the pale blue dot, which is the Carl Sagan thing, isn't it? So it's, um, you know, it's the Earth viewed from very far away. So it was just it's wow, impressionist. It's another universe, it's, actually. I thought it was. Um, it's pointless or something. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> it gave the rough impression of a, of an Earth. But yeah, um, I think Josh's was nice on on. Yeah. Overall, I think Josh probably was was my favourite, and not just because I've chosen him as my winner, obviously. Yeah, so Josh's uh, cake, it was kind of a cheesecake, and then there was like a moussey layer on top. And when he took it out of this 
mould. It looked like a Frasier cake. Isn't it beautiful with all the strawberries around the outside? Um, I think he did really well with his, well, with the dessert element of it. I, I, let, let's leave the meringue to the side, despite the fact it was sort of the main element. Um, and uh, yeah, I think Prue called it a triumph and it was beautiful, delicious, fantastic. Lots and she of, said, lots of positive yeah, words. She said, if Wimbledon did strawberries and cream like that, and then I haven't written the rest of it down, mm. but I, it was a big, big compliment. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought some of them did a very pretty job. To be honest, of, of it, I thought Saku's. I felt a bit sad for Saku because yeah, um, I don't know why she didn't bake the bottom bit at the same time as she made the top bit. Uh, but I thought it was so pretty. Mm. I thought she did a beautiful job of that. Um, the out, outside, if we're just judging on the outside now, I thought Saku's was Saku and Christie's were my favourite. I thought Christie was quite clever with hers. With all those oh, it was beautiful with all yeah. the, the spikes it was, yeah. on it. It was it was lovely. Mm. It was very very nice. Um, what did we think about the technique of Tasha piping her meringue? What she did it on the outside of a silicon mold rather than on the inside. A lot of people seem to do it on the inside. She did it on the outside, and then hers cracked quite badly well she had to cut the silicon mold oh, yeah. i would have thought Ooh, putting it on the inside would have been easier and then you can peel the mold off it but you get a much prettier surface because saku did hers on the outside yeah. um and you don't have that sort of splodged in the middle uh you know oh, that's true. which i think is what happened with dan's because it was just in inside the bowl and it didn't look yeah. didn't then the outside didn't look good whereas tasha's and saku's okay they had some cracking but the overall design i thought was much much prettier and much more effective which is why christie's worked so well because she stuck her things on afterwards to cover up the cracks which was very <laughs> clever um, I don't know, it was very hard. It's not a challenge I would even attempt, to be honest. I'd, I'd try Dan's chocolate one, but I wouldn't I wouldn't try this. We all know how fragile meringue can be. And it, again, there's no way this was going to end up being a really successful showstopper because people were going to have sort of crumbling messes. That's why Eat and Mess was designed, because this stuff <laughs> breaks very easily. <laughs> quite, quite right. Um, Howard, do you think then that this challenge was much less focused on the dessert because, you know, um, I don't want to say that people didn't put thought into their dessert. Of course, you guys all put so much thought into everything you bake for the Bake Off. But I just feel like the profit, some of the profiteroles were, they felt a bit maybe last minute yeah, and the focus yeah. was too much on the, on the outside. So do we think the dessert wasn't really the main focus in this challenge in design. I, I, I think it's really tricky as well to come up with something that's going to sit successfully with it within a meringue. So Dan had basically gone for uh, some kind of almost like a trifle type thing, mm -hmm. wasn't it? Um, which looked so soupy when they first dipped into it. It, it looked, looked really, really wet. But also the, the the ones who'd gone for profiteroles, some of them looked as if they were softening really badly and mm. turning into, you know. So it, it, it's tricky to kind of think, what can I actually put within a meringue shell that is going to stay lovely and, and you know, true to the textures that we want it to have, really? Yeah, mm, I, I think the problem with doing, I think three of them, do three of them do um, profiteroles? Yeah. Yeah. Is you need a hot oven for a profiterole 
and you need a cool oven for a meringue mm. and you need to cool your meringue down in the oven to, which helps to stop it cracking so they i think it was a bad choice to go for the profiteroles with the meringue because oven temperatures and cooling ovens down and heating ovens up i think it what i would have done would have done something very similar to josh i think and gone in with some thin layers of sponges maybe some uh genois thank you by the way for your lovely layered Dobber's taught recipe, Dan, which I did make on, actually for take to dinner last week. Really lovely recipe. But those sponges cool down very, very quickly. So you get those done, then you layer it up, then you chill it, and then you get it to set, and then you make your meringue, and then you have a bit of sitting around. Uh, but I, I think the the profiterole route on paper looked good in practice with oven temperatures was actually completely the wrong choice because you one or other or both of the bakes and not going to happen successfully. That was my view. That's a very good point. Well, we haven't mentioned Matty's, so let's talk about Matty's. Matty's was a, it sounded beautiful. It was a sandwich cake um, with a pistachio cremo, strawberry basil mousse, um, and he really wanted it to be a taste of British and Italian summer. Um, and he had a nice uh, piping on the outside. It was slightly artistic, which I think was... I think, that's that's a nice compliment but inside it was it was very messy it's almost like he had too many layers in the cake I'm, I'm not sure maybe the filling didn't set I don't know it was a bit a bit sloppy on the inside um and unfortunately uh, they said the pistachio was too rich and they weren't a fan of the strawberry with the basil so that's sort of all the flavors that they didn't actually yeah. enjoy that much basil goes together nicely I think. Yeah. Mm, I think it was just possibly not to Paul's taste uh, but I think one of the biggest things is the, the cream in the cake seemed to just spill out a bit. Maybe there was too much or it wasn't set enough. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that seemed to be his trouble there. But we haven't talked about Saku apart from how pretty her outside bit was, which I thought was pretty. And, 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 yeah. and I thought it was unfair she was criticised for the bottom bit breaking because other people had disasters with breaking. I, I would have I would have liked them to have complimented her on the top. But maybe because it wasn't totally round. Again, another thing that made it almost impossible to have it totally round. But actually, her shoe were not good. And how often do we mm. talk about people's um, inability to cook shoe in the tent? I'm not saying they can't make it at home. But it is one of those things you can really trip up on. I love the idea of the flavours for her. You know, passion fruit, pistachio and Irish cream and two different flavours. But really, a few shoe buns in a meringue dome. I think I think they really I think most of them struggled actually and maybe it was they was it was just a really difficult challenge. Mm. I felt very sorry for them all actually. Perhaps we ought to do one, guys. Should we have a bomb challenge between the three of us? No, I'm not serious. Actually. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not going to waste my eggs. <laughs> I I thought at some point they changed from being shoe buns to just buns. Uh, because they'd certainly look quite soft when when they were uh, bitten into. So we know you've got to leave your shoe in there long enough to to dry out. Otherwise, yeah. they they soften really quickly. Um, and the nice thing about shoe is, if you take them out, and think, oh, I didn't leave them in there long enough, and they've gone a bit soft. Um, is you can pop them back in again and dry re. Rechristen them. There you go. That's yeah. something you can make the day before. As long as you cook them and they haven't collapsed, you can just reheat them the day after if they've got a little bit soft. Um, but no, I thought they 
they all had problems. They were all worried about time and took them out too long. And you've got to leave them in there long enough to dry out. Or scoop all that soft stuff in the middle out. You know, or poke a hole in it to let the steam out and then get the soft stuff out. I mean, shoe's tricky. Don't do it in the tent if you don't have to, frankly. So Tasha did shoe. Christy did shoe. Uh, Saku did shoe. Wanted. Oh, Christy's shoe. Yeah. Dreadful, considering it was going to be a croc and bouche. That was never going to happen in there. Um... Oh, poor Christy had to... Had, well, she said, didn't she, it's, it's not a croc and bouche. Yes, yeah, she think, did, bless her. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, we know that, bless. <laughs> yeah. It definitely wasn't a croc and bouche. Um, but, yeah, it was interesting. I thought some pretty, pretty ideas again from Tasha and Saku. I thought they were the prettiest. Uh, well, Christy's as well with the things. I think the girls, women, did... A better job on design and the, the the men boys were more successful with their fillings maybe i think possibly so well better to leave dessert week uh because maybe, maybe it wasn't the challenge for all of us and the technical didn't go too well but you know what we had some fantastic flavors and we did have some really standout moments uh particularly from dan and josh uh but as we go into the end and we do have to say goodbye to somebody uh let's just announce this week's star baker uh which was dan again so dan's had another star baker there good for him uh he had an interesting but very successful uh thai green curry inspired creme caramel he came uh second in the technical challenge and he had a very nice trifle in his showstopper so howard what do we think of dan as another star baker yeah i, th- I think it was a difficult week wasn't it because i think uh generally paul and prue had to almost discount the the technical so they were they were looking at who'd done well in the uh the signature and showstopper um and dan did well in in the signature and Okay, okay, in the showstopper. I, I, I thought Josh came very, very close. Mm. I, I must admit, yeah. I thought, I thought Josh might have just pipped it, but yeah. I think, <laughs> I think Dan shouldn't have got it <laughs> because he whipped his meringue to stiff peaks with the sugar in, and then turned it over his head. There was no danger there whatsoever. We all know when we're testing meringue and we want to be silly and show off, is we whip it just to soft peaks before we add the sugar and then turn yeah. it over. There is a sense of danger. You should have <laughs> lost... Yeah. There is no danger when you've got it with the sugar in and stiff peaks. There's no way that's going to fall out the bowl. So I think he should have been docked points for that, <laughs> frankly. On no, that alone, Dan. No danger. Oh. Yeah, no, <laughs> no danger whatsoever. <laughs> oh. And unfortunately, it does mean we have to send somebody home. And this week it was Saku. Um, she had some lovely flavours in her signature, but unfortunately her technique with the creme caramel just wasn't quite there. She was fifth in the technical challenge and she really struggled with the dessert inside of the meringue bomb. So I think she was just a bit unlucky all round there. So what do we think about Saku going home? I'm sad to see Saku go, yeah. Yeah, she, I mean, everybody is lovely, um, but Saku probably just, yeah, she was a bit kooky. 
kooky is that the word i think so always it's always sad to see somebody go i mean they are particularly nice bunch i hope they get on very well together because they seem as though they do and they're very sweet and that's the trouble with this program people have to go home well unless you reach the final of course yeah (laughs) (laughs) so that means we've lost saku but we do have another star baker in dan and uh, next week we have the fantastic party food week which is a first for Bake Off. So join us next week on the Bake Down podcast where we will be talking about that. And please do make sure that you join us for a class. We hope to see you all very soon. You can have a go at Creme Caramels yourself with the lovely Howard on Sunday the 12th of November where we will be making orange and ginger creme caramels as part of our Bake Along Challenge. And who knows what will happen in Party Food Week. So please stay tuned for that. And as I've said before, we do have some fantastic Christmas classes on offer. We have some brand new classes, Jane's Chestnut Roulade on Saturday the 9th of December. And we also have a Sausage Wreath with Jane on the 16th of December. And we have Dan's classic Kranzikaka Stacking Biscuit Showstopper on the 23rd of December Ooh, and Dan's Bouche de Noel on Sunday the 24th of December. So perfect oh. if you are wanting some Christmas Day bakes, you can bake them with us. And of course, not forgetting Howard, we have Howard's Mini Stollen and Leibkuchen on Sunday the 10th of December and Howard's quite ridiculously artistically spectacular partridge in a pear tart centerpiece on Sunday the 17th of December so lots and lots to get your teeth into there so we really do hope to see you at a Christmas class very soon and don't forget you can use the code podcast to get 10% off your next booking but until then and until next week Jane, Dan and Howard thank you so much for joining me and we'll see you all next week bye-bye bye Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.